Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Randy Wartelski, and today we're going to give you something to talk about. Today we're talking top 10, and with me, my friend Eliza Weinberg, high school and middle school Tanakh teacher, mother of three, mother of a set of twins. Eliza, thanks so much for coming by to schmooze with me about top 10. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for having me here on your show, Randy. It's a pleasure to come and talk to you today. So I was looking up uh, some things earlier, and I came across a top 10 list by David Letterman back in the 1980s. And the list was the top 10 numbers between 1 and 10. And here I'm getting ready to expect something, you know, mind-blowing. And of course, number 10 was 7, number 9 was 6, number 8 was 5, and, number, and so on and so forth. And the number one number between 1 and 10 was 5. <laughs> And I started to think about 10. These 10 days, we are smack in the middle of a Sarasim Chuva in the days leading up to Yom Kippur. Um, Rosh Hashanah being behind us, Yom Kippur being ahead of us, we're right in the middle. And just things going through my mind about every day being important, every day counting. What am I doing every day that today I'm going to be better than I was yesterday and throughout the the culmination of the 10 days, I will hopefully have been a better person than I was 10 days ago. Uh-huh. What's what's going through your mind? You know, every time Rosh Hashanah comes and goes, I think, geez, Elul is gone. And did I even attempt to work on the things that I had hoped on working on from the Rosh Hashanah prior from the year before? And inevitably, once Rosh Hashanah is over, like it was a couple of days ago, I think, no. I I didn't. I didn't do what it was that I set out to do. So what I try to do instead of having any kind of grandiose plans is, especially during the Aserosime Chuva, now that Rosh Hashanah is behind us, is to take each day and work on each day in and of itself. And instead of saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, be this, completely do a 180 from this. I just want to take each day as its own day to try to improve or be a better person on that day. And whether it's a certain midah or a certain mitzvah and and not beat myself up for the things that I just, at the end of the day, know I won't be able to accomplish. So we should try to come up with a top 10 list of things to do during the Aser Yimei Tshuva so that the Aser Yimei Tshuva are not overwhelming. Absolutely. And you just think of it as, as baby steps. Absolutely. And what's the buzz among kids during the Aserah Yimei Tshuva? I mean, I, I have, you know, children of my own, and I'm around middle school age children all day. As am I. And um, what do you feel the buzz is, especially, you know, yesterday being Yom, being Tzom Gedalia, and in middle school, you know, some kids are fasting, some kids are not. Um, what's, the, what's the buzz among the kids? What's the buzz among the kids in your house? 
You know, I think for each kid, each personality, it's a different kind of thing. There's no one specific thing. I think, you know, for one of my kids, it might be trying to dive in with a little bit more Kavana. Uh, For another, it could be something else. I think it really is age-dependent, child-dependent. I think that children in general, the most important thing, instead of, you know, trying to uh, encourage them to do everything and anything, like I said, having grandiose plans, is just self-awareness more than anything of the time because uh, as we know kids often you know they might not think about these things all the time uh, just a, an overall awareness of how important the the time is actually I mentioned to all my classes before Yantiv before Shabbos I said I just want you all in your tefillos on Rosh Hashanah and and I'll stress it again before they leave for Yom Kippur the concept of being miskaving for one tefillah besides the shofar on Rosh Hashanah I talked to them about the Unasana Tokef I said I know it's very hard to sit in shul Musaf is very long but if there's one tefillah that you could really pay attention to really sit there and think and listen when the when the Balmasaf is reciting the Unasana Tokef and that alone should be enough to make you feel like you've accomplished something you know besides listening to the shofar which is obviously important but something that your tefillot were meaningful because uh, it is such a hard thing that's what certain kids want to connect to but it's impossible to connect to everything uh, you know I remember that story behind Asana Tokef being very mashpia um, on me, I guess, influ- influential on me when I was a kid. And I still to this day, when that tefillah is, is being said, I still look at the bima and I close my eyes and try to picture what what it was and that, you know, the first time the Asana Tokef was, was said in shul and the feeling that the klal must have had hearing that prayer. Right. And I have, I've encouraged my students and my own children to look at it in the English, if you don't understand the Hebrew, to understand not just that you understand the words, but you understand the meaning Absolutely. and the gravity of how serious this tefillah is, that every year our lives are in balance. Every day our lives are in balance. And that's why you know, like I said, it's just living each day to the fullest and, you know, not saying, what am I going to do this year? What am I going to do today? Right. You know, to make the day fulfilling. And that's why of all the tefillot, I find that that is the one that for children, especially in the teenage years, that is such a powerful tefillah that can resonate within them. Uh, scary a little bit, but important, at, you know, this time of year. Absolutely. And um, leading up to the day, you know, we're talking about the day itself and, and leading up to the day and, is, and during these Aserat Yemei Tshuva, we're preparing for Yom Kippur. Do you do kaparos with a chicken? I do not. It's actually a big uh, debate in my household. It's not really a debate between uh, me and my husband, but it, uh, uh, just we talk about the fact that uh, the kaparos with a chicken now has become a very controversial thing. So we just do money. We do not go anywhere for chickens. And you? Yes, we have done kaparos with a chicken. I think more for the kids and their experience. Um, and yeah, I hear that, that some people have a hard time with it. So we've, we've graduated to money as well. I have to Much say. Much easier. <laughs> 
And um, are you one of these people that weans yourself off caffeine in the days before Yom Kippur? You know, it's so funny. You know, I know me you're a well. coffee drinker. I'm a very strong coffee drinker. It really it depends my mood of the season. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. If I don't, I, I I prepare myself for a very very challenging fast. But uh, I have to say, I I am a coffee drinker, but I'm not a coffee lover. But I have recently become very in love with coffee mate Italian sweet cream which really makes the coffee for me taste much much better uh-huh. it's just this like sweetener that you put in and it's probably very high in calories and probably not very good for you but for me it makes the coffee taste better sounds like coffee is an accessory to the cream for you for, for sure me, I'm a coffee addict for I can sure. have it black black no sugar no milk no nothing <laughs> if, you just you just be, drink it I just drink it um, so I have become somebody who, ha- who has started lately to enjoy my coffee more and more. And I, I buy into that weaning yourself off caffeine so that you can have a better day. You don't have the caffeine headache. Maybe you don't have that sugar drop at the end of the day, which makes you so, so tired. Um, I was re- reading through some tips for Yom Kippur fasting, and it's definitely, um, one of those things that you should do a week before Yom Kippur to make your fast easier is to taper off these, these, these things, you know, coffee, tea, other caffeinated beverages, sugar, candy, chocolate, anything else that you eat habitually or that you long for when you can't have it. And interestingly, some people say that if you are one of those people that always eats at the same exact time every single day, Mm -hmm. that you should vary your meal schedule because then you're your body is going to be hungry at that specific time and it will be very, very difficult to get through that time. Other people say, and I think my husband is going to be of this, of this opinion, um, that they would rather experience intense hunger for half an hour twice a day than mild gnawing for a couple of hours. And my husband says, why should I suffer without caffeine for a week? I could just suffer without caffeine for one day. Right. I, I hear that. I actually, I'm a big olfactory sense kind of person. So growing up, we used to have this tradition in my house. I highly recommend it for those of you who have strong nasal senses. We used to take a lemon mm-hmm. and stick cloves in it and bring it to shul in a, in a plastic bag. And whenever I was feeling lightheaded, cloves have such a strong smell. So we would, uh, we would smell it, sniff it, and we would pass it around shul. Yes. Everyone would benefit from are cloved lemons. I recall seeing that clove lemon, not your clove lemon, because we didn't grow up in the same shul, but um, in our shul as well, people would pass it around. Definitely helps. You know, unfortunately uh, for me, this is uh, the one uh, tannis that I can't go to. As you know, I'm always at Fairway. I can't go inhale the smell of the coffee, but I find that anything that you Do you, you do can... that on fast days? Go to oh, Fairway to inhale co- the smell of coffee? <laughs> and to buy it. But anything that I can smell definitely helps. So, uh, you know, if you're Have you ever like... heard of liquid smelling salts? I have, indeed. I've never tried them on Yom Kippur. We have, we have a bottle of smelling salts at my parents' house that is, it's probably 100 years old. I don't know how old it is, but it still works. It has a very potent smell. I don't know what it does. It's very um, medicine-y smelling, but it de- definitely perks you up. Oh, it when could you take be a ammonia little... or something, like if you pass out. That I doesn't know. sound too healthy, right? Yeah, no. I don't one, know. One thing that I have to say that I've found very, very helpful, and I've tried this also before Tisha B'Av, 
is just loading up with water. Oh my gosh. The day before. And fruits that have a lot of high water content, watermelon, grapes, anything where you're just, you know, loading up on, on, on water. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what you feel like. I find that Yom Kippur in general is an easier fast than some of the other ones because you're occupied all day. Right. You know, you're, well, you're you tr- the- you ho- hopefully you are. Right. Hopefully you are. And uh, what do you say to those people who, let's say, moms at home with kids, they don't have babysitting or they have babies who can't go to groups in shul? Um, I know that there are some women who split the day like I'll watch your kids while you go to Musaf you watch my kids while I go to Nila have you ever done that I haven't done that uh, different parts when my kids were very little we either would have a babysitter or I just wouldn't go and I and I think what's so important is to be a role model even for your little children so that if you can't go to shul and you still have two very little children at home uh, to model for them you know, not you're not ignoring them, but taking out a chunk of time, what's appropriate for your family and davening, davening with them and showing them what you're doing and that it is Yom Kippur, but it doesn't mean that you're ignoring your children. I mean, that's your first role is to be a mother. So you can't go to shul, then you can still make the day meaningful for you and read books with your children about the holiday or whatever it is. Yeah, there definitely is something to be said about your kids seeing you in tefillah or you know, immersed in, even, even when they notice that you're fasting, you know, mommy, are you okay? You feeling all right? They're affected by that as well, even if they're not physically experiencing it. Absolutely. And there's so much, they start this, you know, inculcating the chinuch of Yom Kippur at such an early age that there's something to be said about a mother being with her children for parts of the day on Yom Kippur. To have a child at home or, you know, in, in, in groups with, babysitters all day the day has no meaning for them whatsoever I'm not advocating I'm not necessarily saying you should bring your child to shul if it's not appropriate for them but there should be some sort of interaction between parent and child on Yom Kippur it's so important for them to see that how young have you started your kids on not wearing leather shoes Oh, gosh. You know what? Crocs have been in existence oh, for so Croc- long, Crocs right? Crocs are so easy. <laughs> so, Although since- I personally don't own a pair of Crocs for myself. Me neither. I have to say, I go the the Steve Madden uh, elastic shoe route. Oh, I finally got rid of Or the Chinese those. slippers. Right. Or Converse. Those yes. are like the top. The top three. Yes. It's always uh, weird on Yom Kippur to go to shul and sneakers. So I, you know, I Very every, weird. every year I try to figure out. But I, do you wear white? I do wear white. Um, we do have friends whose custom it is to wear white, like top to bottom. So I've definitely seen that as well. But in our family, we've always just worn white a white shirt at night. Um, and actually, Yom Kippur, Erev Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur in the evening, always had sort of a special poignant meaning for me because I know last week I talked about my birthday. My Hebrew birthday actually is Erev Yom Kippur. Oh. And as the story goes, my father was standing on the bima, getting ready, preparing, practicing, whatever, in the few moments before Yom Kippur. And then he got the news that I was born. So every time I walk into shul for Kol Nidre, I get happy birthday wishes from everybody. You still go to Flatbush. Huh? Still go to the shul where I grew up. Uh-huh. That's so nice. That's so nice. I think uh, it's, you know, when you grow up and move out of the house, I obviously I don't go home. It's a different state. Uh, a faraway state, but I think there's something uh, kind of nostalgic about reliving those Yom Kippur memories, whether it's the foods that you eat, you know, everyone always wants to know what are you cooking era of Yom Kippur. And I don't know about you, but I cook 
pretty much exactly what my mother always made. And it's my Yom Kippur only, you know, menu. It's the food we eat only, well, not all of it, but some of it is only Arab Yom Kippur food. Due to foods that are not high in salt and you try to. Yes, yes. But, uh, you know, it's a a nice meal, but it's, it's also... When I'm preparing it, it's prepared with memories from growing up. I, you know, right. just always every year it's the same thing since I can remember from being a child eating that same food every Yom Kippur and breakfast the same thing. So, yeah, and just getting back to the to kids with the leather shoes for a minute. So I feel like the the shoe wearing is so it's such an easy thing to involve the kids in the rituals of the day. Because the shoes is so, it's just like an easy thing to say to them, oh, we're not going to wear our leather sneakers today. Today we're going to wear Crocs because we're not wearing leather shoes. That is such an easy thing to understand even as a three-year-old. Absolutely. That, you know, that that's what, we're not doing that on that day. And then, you know, the other thing that I waffle back and forth about is at what age is it appropriate to bring your child to shul? And uh, I know this obviously must, it varies from child to child. Um, based on the child's stamina, the child's ability to dive in, the child's ability to read. Um, at what age do you, do you start bringing your kids to shul? Or can they, when can they start sitting in shul? So my kids are pretty calm, but um, my husband especially, and I agree with him, are firm believers that um, unless a child is sitting there and davening, a, a shul is not a place to bring children to, you know, socialize in the shul itself, obviously, right. you know, to hang out, to eat snacks, to whatever, that when they're ready to go and daven, that's when they go into shul. So if they're not ready to sit in shul and daven, so my twins now can sit in shul, all the davening and sit in shul, then they're going to groups. And if they don't want to grow to groups, then they stay home. We don't, endorse, uh, you know, kind of running around the shul and doing that. But everyone has to really find their own comfort level. And it's interesting, we ate a meal on Rosh Hashanah, and this came up in conversation. And, you know, everyone has to do what's comfortable for them. And there are many different fields of schools of thought about getting kids to love shul. So, you know, it has to be what also works for the parents. And and what's appropriate in the shul. I mean, there are also very different different types of shuls. Some shuls may be more inviting to the little children, you know, at certain parts of the day and, and not other parts of the day. Um, you know, it also depends on the kind of shul that you go to. I do think, though, that on the Yamim Noraim, when people, especially women, you know, uh, uh, wait all year to really communicate with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, one-on-one. They don't get that opportunity, especially moms with kids the rest of the year. I think that it's not an appropriate time of year to have kids, you know, being passed back and forth and babies and crying and all of that. And moms who have older kids were there with little kids. And it's it's a hard balance. But I just feel like for everyone who's in shul who doesn't have little kids at the moment, they've gone through it too. And they want to be there to daven. And right. it's very disruptive when you have, uh, you know, a lot of the commotion going on in the shul. So, you know. And I must say, even when I'm in shul, and, and I do go to shul without my little kids with me, I do find it hard sometimes to not think about them and wonder what they're doing at home or what they're doing at groups. And my mind wanders a little bit and it is a little bit hard to get back on track. But when you're in shul, at least you feel like you're surrounded by the davening. And even if your mind is wandering a little bit, that 
the songs and the voices coming at you will always bring you back. And I also feel like if you're totally distracted because you, you know, you have no phone, you have no way to connect, then you leave. Right. You know what? If, if you can't enjoy the davening and shul because you're worried with your children, then go home and check on them. And if it's, you know, too far of a walk, then finish your davening. And I've plenty of times I've been there where I just, you know, finished davening to myself and I've left. Or it's just too long for my kids to be at groups. Shul goes till two o'clock. It's not fair to them. And, you know, like I said, it's the balance of a mom. Um, we all want to be in shul all day, but at certain points in our life, it's just not, it's not possible. You know, I recently heard a very interesting, this is more, I guess, of a Rosh Hashanah kind of story than a Yom Kippur kind of story, but appropriate for the time period nonetheless, a very interesting take on Tikiata Shofar that the calls, the sounds of the shofar are reminiscent of the cries of a baby. They mm -hmm. sound like the cries of a baby. And when does a baby cry? A baby cries when it wants, it can't, it can't do anything on its own. So the baby, anything, eating, you know, whatever needs to be changed, needs to be cleaned, um, needs the help of its mother mm -hmm. or its father. And the crying is calling out for somebody's help. Please pick me up. Please change me. Please feed me, whatever it may be. And in much the same way, the sound of the shofar is our calling out for God. Our calling out so that God should hear our cries. And I heard that before Rosh Hashanah, and I thought about it on Rosh Hashanah. And coming into Yom Kippur, I was thinking that it's so interesting that we end Yom Kippur with the shofar. Because it's almost like that spurs you on to start the next phase, the new phase, with this heightened awareness. Mm -hmm. Like, we had the awareness on Rosh Hashanah, we blew the shofar, we were awoken to, to do tshuva, then we had these 10 days, and then we had Yom Kippur, and now let's hear the shofar one more time to remind us of everything that we thought about 10 days ago and everything that we davened about over the, you know, the whole course of the, of the Aserah Simit tshuva. And now coming into the new year, really starting the new year at the end of the Yamim Noraim, this shofar kind of calls calls to is a call to ourselves and a call to God for help to remind us of how we we should be this year. Mm -hmm. It was just a very a very interesting thing that I saw and that I heard um, you know re just thinking about the sound of the shofar. So I think we're going to take a short break now and we'll be back with some more something to talk about right after this.
Welcome back, everybody, to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and I'm sitting here with fellow educator, good friend, high school and middle school Tanakh teacher, mother of three, Aliza Weinberg. And Aliza, we're going to say goodbye to you in just a moment, and I just wanted to know if there was a, a thought that you'd like to leave us with, something that you've been thinking about, something that has been on your mind uh, coming into Yom Kippur, you know, we talked before about Nisana Tokef, about just focusing on one small thing instead of being overwhelmed by the whole 10 days of it. And uh, what's what's something that you that you have in mind that you can, a, a thought that you can leave us with? So I think if uh, you can uh, be miscaving when you're davening, when you're saying L'David Hashem Ori Vishi and paying attention to the words, when David HaMelech uh, wrote this unbelievable, powerful tefillah, in it, we say it from, as you all know, from uh, the beginning of Elul through Shemini Atzeret, it doesn't end at Yom Kippur, it continues on. He's not asking for God to forgive him. There's no concept of Dean or Mishpat or being a choser b'tshuva anywhere in this powerful tehillah. What he's talking about is that all David HaMelech wants to do is to be close to God. That for us to be good Jews, it's not about judging and being judged and worrying about every time I did or didn't do or should do, but it's about our concept of emuna and being close to God. And if that is the, you know, in the forefront of our minds and our actions and being aware and self-aware and knowing that our, our main goal is Dvekos Bahashem. If you can just think about that for the next number of days till we reach Yom Kippur, then I think the bigger picture becomes a lot less difficult when we know that God is with us everywhere we turn. We just have to be seeking him out all the time. So with that, I say goodbye. Yeah, Eliza, that was such a beautiful thought. And something for all our listeners to think about as they talk about that over the next uh, couple of days. Thanks so much for coming by to schmooze with me. My and pleasure. I, I really hope that you'll come back again. Will do. So now we're at that segment, ladies and gentlemen, which I love the most. My favorite segment of the show here. Something to talk about that I shouldn't be talking about. And that's why today I brought in the expert. Everybody, here's DJ Wartelski. DJ, say hello to the fans. Hello. Saying hello to all the listeners out there on the Nachum Siegel Network. Hello. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Very well said. So something to talk about that I shouldn't be talking about because I just don't know a lot about it. And that's what you're going to help me with. What's it like to be a kid on Yom Kippur? Well, usually it's just when the parents are usually just fasting and they're trying to do slich on Mechila, but... When the kids are actually involved is when, when they're um, usually during when they're doing birchat kohanim, or either when they're saying their own tefillah to be shechal Is there one specific tefillah that you enjoy more than the others, or that you understand more than the others, or that you learned about that something that you like more than the others? No, not really. I mean. I like I like the way that it's that it always happens and I like that it's always good but I don't really have a specific tefillah that I like the most. Do you enjoy the davening on Yom Kippur? Well, at some points yes and at some points no. 
Well, sometimes get... it's really, really slow, and then at sometimes it's really, really, like, tuny and up. What do you do when it's really, really slow? Um, I usually take a book to shul, so I usually read the book while I'm waiting. Oh. Any good books you could recommend to other kids out there to take to shul? Um, I mean, if there's, if you have the mini art school first sitter, then that's a really good commentary. It's really interesting. So I used to read that, so that's good. And you read an interesting magazine over Rosh Hashanah, didn't you? Yeah, I read... I don't know, I don't remember what it was called, but you read some interesting articles that it was a Jewish magazine. Yeah. Maybe um, you should recommend to kids that they bring a Jewish magazine as it well. It was called AIM, and it was in... I think at I think at different weeks it's up to a different topic. So this week it's probably up to Yom Kippur. So whoever gets aim in the mail should probably bring it to shul. And what about fasting? What do you think about fasting? What's it like as a kid? Well, what do you usually do on a fast day? Um, usually, I try to fast until lunch. Okay. But if I can't make it, I usually just break it whenever whenever I just don't feel like I can make it anymore. But usually I try to do the best I can. And do you think that when you fast on Yom Kippur, it adds a lot to your day? Well, it for sure makes me tired, but um, as long as my tefillot are getting accepted, it's fine with me. Do you want to share some of your things that you're thinking about that you're davening for this year or are they too private to share on the radio with everybody i think it's just too private to share okay well dj thanks so much for coming by to talk to me today about yom kippur and the estera yamei tshuva and you've really given our listeners something to think about and something to talk about what is one last thing that you'd like to tell all those other kids out there as they get ready for yom kippur Enjoy the vacation days until school really starts off again. When you're feeling all alone You need some happiness to call your own Nothing is going the way it should You're trying to do the best you could Lift up your eyes to the sky Your life's in his hands, trust in him he will reply, guiding 
Kipper selection by Avram Freed. You're never alone. Music brought to you here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Randy Wartelski, and we're back on something to talk about. And you just heard from DJ Wartelski. I didn't tell you guys that he's only 10 years old. So he's under bar mitzvah, but he's uh, at that in that 
transitional stage where that fast is looming upon him. And uh, I think we heard some great words from DJ, so I thank him a lot for being here. On to the next segment of our program, Quotable Quotes. And here to talk about Quotable Quotes with me, a mystery guest who'd rather not be named. We'll give you his initials. A.W. A.W., say hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. Thank you so much for joining me here on the show. So here's the first quote. And uh, some, most of these quotes are just about forgiveness, which I think is very appropriate at this time of year. So somebody named C. London, first initial C. London says, I have learned that sometimes sorry is not enough. Sometimes you actually have to change. What do you say to that? Is it enough to just say you're sorry? Uh, that's a tough one. It uh, usually is not enough to just say you're sorry. You have to do more than just say you're sorry, I'd imagine. Certainly when it comes to Hilchos Tshuva and uh, the actual uh, apologies that we do and the, 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 the forgiveness that we seek, um, there's two things that have to happen, and it's a process. So yes, you have to ask forgiveness. We do ask forgiveness from uh, Hashem, from uh, the Lord, from God. We do do that. But at the same same time, we're also uh, told that the true tshuva, at least the most sincere tshuva, the, the highest form of tshuva, is when we're presented with the situation again and given the same similar circumstances if we pass the test and we don't once again sin. So that would be more than just saying sorry, but actually uh, going through with it. Um, so I would say I'd agree with that. And certainly be from man to man, this brings us to this next quote by an unknown person. It takes a strong person to say sorry and an ever stronger person to forgive. And now we're talking about forgiveness. It takes a strong person to say sorry and an ever stronger person to forgive. Yeah, I, I actually going to disagree with that one. I always felt that the easier part was to say, I'm ochel everybody. That was always the thing this time of year. Always everybody saying, are you meichel me? Are you meichel me? Are you meichel me? And uh, to me, it was always a very easy blanket um, forgiveness. Uh, but I'm not such a uh, sensitive individual. So I don't know, maybe some people, it's harder for them to forgive. But in, in my personal experience, if you slighted somebody and there is somebody that you actually offended, to build up the courage to go and apologize to them, that is a bigger challenge than saying than forgiving them on your own. Shall we take Shall we take this opportunity to ask Michila from everybody who we've we've slighted? Sure, we might as well. It's sort of a one way conversation here, but uh, yeah, if uh, go go for it. <laughs> um, on to the next quote. Apologizing does not always mean that you are wrong and the other person is right. It just means that you value your relationship more than your ego. Uh-huh. That's what my spouse always means when she tells me she just wants me to say I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now it makes perfect sense. So when you apologize, this is again an unknown quote, apologizing does not always mean you're wrong and the other person is right. It just means you value your relationship more than your ego. I do think that sometimes you should just apologize, even if you're not, even if you believe you were right in what you did. And again, we're talking Ben Adam Lachavero. Even if you believe you're you're correct in what you did, if you just apologize for the other person feeling badly, I think that that means a lot. I think acknowledgement of the pain and hurt on the other side will take you to at least to a conversation. Certainly. 
Certainly. I like that quote. That's my best one so far. Best one so far. Top. By an unknown person. Okay. Mm. We, we only got like uh, three more here. Three so. more. Go for it. Okay. A little girl was asked what forgiveness is. She gave a beautiful answer. It is the fragrance that flowers give when they are crushed. How do you interpret that? Uh, too poetic? Way too poetic. <laughs> a little girl I was asked. I would not have been that little girl's friend. A little girl was asked what forgiveness is. She gave a beautiful answer. It is the fragrance that flowers give when they are crushed. Because sometimes when you forgive somebody who's done wrong to you, you do have to get over your own pain a little bit. Uh, I understand it. I just, uh, okay, okay. We should uh, move on. The fragrance, the flower. Do flowers give fragrances when they're crushed? I suppose they do. Okay. According I guess they to may. this little according girl. to this quote. Okay. I guess they do. Okay. Thank you, little girl. Okay, we'll move on. We've got we've only got two more quotes. Um, and these are about prayer. The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Hmm. Interesting. Well, prayer is a very complex uh a complex issue and, uh, you know, are we being answered and how do we know if we're answered? And, you know, that's something that uh, I certainly wouldn't touch. Uh, it's a very hard thing to understand. The, the most very famously, very personal. And uh, I remember very clearly when uh, uh, Esther Waxman uh, tells the story of when her son, Nachshon, was a captive. And, uh, you know, it's probably not an exaggeration to say hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jewish children, men, women, around the world were davening for his safe return. And uh, unfortunately, we know that that did not happen. And she became a very uh, uh, well-known speaker about this specific uh, uh, mantra, what happens with prayer? What, what happened to all those prayers? And, uh, you know, and her answer was that God always answers your prayer, but sometimes the answer is no. And uh, she heard from many other people that, felt that at that time those prayers that were offered were answers to their questions as yes, but to her the answer was no, and she uh, took that message. I've heard that before, that God answers the prayer, just sometimes he says no. I find that hard to swallow sometimes. Well, I would say that I'd if that were not the case... I think I sometimes, I'm sorry to interrupt you, sure. but I think I'd rather believe sometimes that he's thinking about it. That's a nice way to think of it, but if it were the case where... Anytime you needed something or wanted something and had enough people and there was a certain equation, guys, we need 50,000 more people to pray and then we'll definitely get A, well, then it would be a game and it would be a game and there's no amuna in that. Then it would just be a, a mathematical equation. So that would not be true prayer and true bitachon, in my opinion. It would be more of a calculation of what do we have to do to get this to happen. And that is not, in my opinion, what tefillah is or bitachon. Where do you draw strength from? This is just a little... We're going off topic a little bit from the quote, but and we do have one one quote left in just a couple of minutes. Where do you draw inspiration from when you're sitting in shul all day in Yom Kippur? Uh, I might not want to admit it, but it's a little bit fear. Um, you know, such it's the world is so fragile. And, you know, in just any moment, anything can happen. And we see that. We see it every day if we want to see it. And if we don't want to see it, we still see it often. Sometimes it's put in our face and sometimes it's uh, a little more distant. But we see it all around us. 
Um, so that is one of the motivating factors that you have an opportunity. You know, we know that Yom Kippur is a gift. It's considered a, a holiday uh, because we're forgiven. And, you know, one of the famous things that I remember hearing when I was a kid from uh, my uh, Rebbeim was we make a bracha. Uh, uh, on Shuvah. We make a bracha when we are when we, we're davening, and the question is, what right do we have to make a bracha? Who says that we're going to be granted this Shuvah? So the answer is, you know, it's it's the, the, the mushal is given that it's a, you know, a kid tries to play a trick on his dad, and he goes and he says, can I have a cookie? And his dad says, no. He says, can I have a cookie? He says, no. He says, bracha ta'ashamakolam bremimizonos. And the dad, dad is kind of stuck. He doesn't want him to say a bracha levatala, so mm-hmm. he gives him the cookie. So in a way, we're 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 sort of playing that uh, with Hashem in that we are, you know, we we expect that we're given this day as a as a as a a gift and a and a guarantee that if we pray well on this day, we will be forgiven and we will be uh, given uh, a good year, if you will. I leave you with one last quote, and it goes like this: Pray as if everything depended on God, and work as if everything depended on man. And wow. I like to interpret work as working on yourself, working between others, working, you know, your relationships with God, relationships with other people. Yeah, that's a another heavy one. Um, you know, where does it lie? The Hishtadlus versus the Bitachon. Uh, where is the end? You know, the helicopter story of the man in the boat. The man's in the boat and uh, the boat's drowning and he just tells everybody, don't worry about it, I'm going to be okay. And they jump on the lifeboats and they're saved and then a helicopter comes and, and says, come on, let's go. Jump on the helicopter. He says, don't worry about it. I have a lot of Bitachon. I'm going to be saved. And and then another raft comes by and another helicopter and he waves them all away because he has all the Bitachon. And of course, we know the story. He drowns and he gets up to Shemayim and he turns to Hashem. He says, I understand what happened. You know, I had uh, had all this bitachon and then, you, you know, you didn't come. He said, who do you think sent the rafts and the helicopters? So it's a, it's a juggling act. On the flip side, we have the story of someone driving around Manhattan trying desperately to find a spot on one of the busiest days of the year and he needs to go to his meeting and he can't find a spot. So he turns to the only thing he could think of and he goes, Hashem, please. Please, just one time, help me. Please help me find a spot. Please, Hashem, I really need you to help me find a spot. He turns the corner and right there, like an oasis with a rainbow and a, and a, and a palm tree, is the most amazing spot they could ever imagine. He quickly turns to Hashem and says, forget it, forget it, I found one. <laughs> so, you know, that's the uh, balance. That's, does I Hashem guess, often the, help you find parking spots? Uh, I, I would think he does. I, I do happen to have some good parking luck. He gets but, you out of parking tickets. Um, oh, I almost said something very heretical, saying that I get myself out of parking tickets. But yes, of course, Hashem also of course. get out of parking tickets. Hopefully, you'll help me get out of the other two tickets I got this week. Gets you parking uh, spots, gets you parking tickets. Listen, it's all in a day's work. I know I said I, that that was our last quote, but I do have one last quote to leave our listeners with. Maybe not as heavy, these uh, quotes. These are really... Uh, yeah, this one's kind of... This is not something to talk one, about. This is something to think about. This, this something is something to contemplate. This is something to think about and talk about. And certainly we'll have lighter shows in the days to come. Um, so this unknown author says, do not make prayer a monologue. Make it a conversation. Don't make it a, don't make it a one-sided thing. Make it that you're talking to God and, and listen for the words that God says to you. Yeah, and that is what we're instructed to do, and that is how our tefillos are constructed. And uh, we know that tefillah shabalev, um, you know, we don't uh, believe in uh, necessarily having to scream out loud. You know, our most intimate tefillos are silent. Uh, they're between, uh, they're, they're two-way in that we are addressing Hashem and we're talking to Him. Uh, Hashem is 
uh, most likely not going to respond back to us verbally. I don't think we're on that level. Uh, there probably have been those that are that were on that level, but we are not on that level. Uh, but we do believe that it's a two-way conversation in that uh, two ways in many ways. In, in one way that it would be two ways, it is not just us making demands of, of, of God. Here's my laundry list of things that I need this week, this month, this year. It's a conversation of uh, thanking and, and appreciating and, and beseeching uh, for the future. So, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that one. I'll agree with that quote. You were saying that uh, Yom Kippur is a gift. And I love that you said that because I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I look at it as a day of, well, we're so lucky we get this day. So we really should take it as a conversation with God. It's like you set everything aside and you go to shul to talk to God. It's like an amazing thing. It's a gift that you don't have any distraction of food or uh, any of the other things. Uh, I don't know that everyone would, just would agree with you. Food well, you may not agree with me, but there's no question about it that no, the I food know. aspect of it is I distracting. Know. I know. And not I only know. that, the food aspect of it is what's human. We're supposed to be like an angel on Yom Kippur. An angel, of course, has a direct communication with God and a two-way conversation with God. So maybe that's another aspect that I never thought of. That when you, you know, act, how do we act like angels? Well, we're supposed to stand all day. Well, it's not easy to do, but we're supposed to not eat. Angels don't need to be fed. Angels don't need to be, don't, don't need to drink. Angel, angels don't need to wash. Angels are single-minded. They have one mission, and that is their relationship with God. So that's uh, interesting. You just thought of that now? That's beautiful. Thank you. I like that. That's, that's something very... To think about. Something very good to think about. And even though this show is called Something to Talk About, of course, we're leaving you... With many, many things heavy to talk things. about. Many heavy things to talk Remember about. Remember that there's two days of the year that sound very similar. Yom Kippur and Yom Purim. Oh, yes. Right? Yom Kippurim. My right? son made that mistake once. It's not a mistake. They are they He are, asked me linked. if it was Purim. Uh, right. Because okay. it was Kippurim. Right. So it is Kippurim. And um, I hope that you'll have me on uh, the show before uh, Purim so we could be a little more lightheaded. Yes, because our mystery guest is quite funny as quite, well. Quite, quite. And lightheaded. And lightheaded. And I thank our mystery guest for joining me today to schmooze about top 10. And of course, um, I was referring to the, these last 10 days of Aseris Yumei And I wish everyone a Gemar Chasimatova. And we hope to hear from you and hear you next time on something to talk about. Hope we've left you with something to talk about. Let's give them something.